History is a funny thing. When we look back and think of it, we often see something different than what actually happened. But if we look even closer, we see not only history, but his story. God moving and actively being involved in history. We see that today in the story of Rahab. And although her story starts off in a challenged place, God uses her powerfully. May that become hope for our story as we look at this Advent episode of Groundwork. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, this is the second of a five episode series on the first 17 verses of Matthew. And Matthew continues to surprise his audience by choosing to add women in this genealogy. That's something you just don't do. Right. Uh, Or you certainly uh, don't choose the women he did. (laughs) You might choose uh, upright women like Sarah and uh, Rebecca and Rachel and Leah, the four matriarchs of Israel. But the first four women that uh, Matthew includes in Jesus' family tree, they didn't exactly have, most of them anyway, didn't exactly have squeaky clean backgrounds. Um, Their stories have a lot of pain in them, some sorrow, some trauma. And as we've pointed out in the first program of this series, which was on Tamar from uh, Genesis 38, some of these stories aren't quite the ones that you tell in Sunday school. Tamar's doesn't get told at all in Sunday school. And if some of these other women's stories get told, they they often get cleaned up because they can be a little bit raw. I know that there are some, quote unquote, sanitized versions of these stories for children. But as adults and people who have been seasoned in the word, the Bible, we know, is not squeamish about drama in people's lives. There's often brokenness all over the place. I mean, it shows, like you said in the last episode, why Jesus had to come. And we also see that in this story, there's no shortage of pain, suffering, challenge and hardship. But in this case, we're looking at Rahab. And Rahab is one of the four women that Matthew mentioned. This is the one that we need to search other places in Scripture to find her story. And it picks up in Joshua chapter 2. So let's look at Joshua chapter 2 when we see her story. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. But the king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they had come from. And at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Now, Scott, when I was in seminary, I was taught taught to get the context of what's going on in this story. And I had a question that was kind of curious. At this time, I'm wondering why did they end up at Rahab's house in the first place? <laughs> Scripture does tell us that they entered into the house. And it also tells us that she's a prostitute. Somehow the king found out about it. But what's going on there? 
I don't know uh, how they ended up there. I, I always was given the impression that after they had been discovered, they ducked in there. But the, the Texas, they went in there first. So I'm not sure how, how that happened. But clearly, this is an unlikely place for them to receive help, put it that way. Right. Uh, at the very least, uh, if you're in trouble, uh, going into the uh, a brothel or into the house of a prostitute doesn't look like a ticket to getting saved or delivered. But that is where they are. We should also just say real quickly, backing up just a little bit, Daryl, Tamar, who we looked at in the first episode of this five-part Advent and Christmas series, that was in Genesis, and that was, you know, long before the nation of Israel was formed. So now we're in Joshua, so we're on the other side of the Exodus, on the other side of the 40 years of wandering. Finally, they're getting ready through Joshua to uh, do the conquest of Canaan and, and get into the Promised Land, and this is sort of their, their first foray of spying out the land to figure out the best strategy. But these spies must not have been very good spies because it seems like they got sniffed out almost immediately. Somebody ratted on them. Something happened, and it got all the way up to the king. I don't think it's the goal of the spies to be found out if they're sneaking around. But they end up finding a place to hide in Rahab's house. And so it's interesting that Rahab, who is not an Israelite, ends up helping these Israelites and lying to the Jericho men from sent from the king to make sure that they're not found. And the fact that she hides them means that she showed them a great kindness at risk to herself because she could have gotten herself in a lot of trouble if she would have been found out what she did. And at this point in the story, we're going to move on uh, in a few moments in the program. Later, we'll, we'll find out a little bit more about Rahab. But uh, at this point in the story, you don't expect her to put her own neck on the line by right. lying to the Jericho cops, right? The police come. You tell the truth. She doesn't. She just brazenly lies and even sends them on a wild goose chase. You know, she basically says, oh, yeah, there were some guys here, but they left. You know, hurry. You might catch them. It's almost like a cartoon, you know. Uh, oh, they, they, went just, they, they, just, they went that away. Uh, and, and so, indeed, uh, the Jericho forces head out into the wilderness. Gate shuts behind him, uh, and the spies are are safe and snug up on the roof, hiding underneath some flax and some you know leaves and materials and whatnot. So what's going on? Why did she show them this kindness? I would imagine the men probably didn't expect it. I mean, it would have taken nothing for Rahab to say, "Yep, they're here, right over there." She probably would have curried favor with the king, might have gotten a reward. But she doesn't. She risks her life. What I understand about this story is something that is really deep to me was that. If you think about Rahab and her history, they literally tell us that she's a prostitute. But even people with the dirtiest labels and the most checkered past, they actually do have the capability of helping someone and making good choices. Like it doesn't matter what they have done. It doesn't mean that they can't decide to do something different or to do something better, even though society has labeled them or someone else has labeled them. So this story specifically turns that notion on its head. The second thing is that sometimes standing up for righteousness can actually be detrimental to you. It could get you in a world of trouble. It could put you in harm's way as opposed to moving you out of the way. And at that time, you'll have to decide what you'll do. Now, Rahab, we see she's chosen to help these men. It could have costed her life at that point. That's right. And we'll find out later. I mean, she will get away with it. The spies will make a clean getaway eventually, and she won't be found out. But again, the question really hanging in the air here is here is a foreigner 
a Jerichoite from the land of Canaan, so a Canaanite and a Jerichoite, no connection to Israel whatsoever, seemingly has no skin in the game in terms of helping people from Israel. So the question is, why in the world did she do it? Why did she lie to the cops? Why didn't she just turn these guys in and then go to bed and sleep well? Well, uh, we're going to find out in just a moment some of the reasons why, and they turn out to be really interesting reasons. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, we're talking about uh, the second of four, really five, women that Matthew mentions in his family tree, his genealogy of Jesus, in those first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1. We might think that opening a gospel with a a long list of father of father of father of family tree is boring, but Matthew is writing for, we said in the first program, a Jewish reading audience. And for those who already believed Jesus was the Messiah, he was confirming that. For those who hadn't yet believed Jesus was the Messiah, Matthew was establishing Jesus' credibility. But his including four women who were all foreigners to Israel was also his first opening salvo to say the Messiah came from more than just Israel. And in this case, in this program, we're seeing that through Rahab. It's really powerful for Matthew to end intentionally include these names of these women in the genealogy. And he wants to make the case that he wants to minister to this people through the world. But he also showing that there are actually colorful stories that go with these names. Each name has a story attached to it. And today we're in Rahab's story based on her name. And we're continuing in chapter two of Joshua. Verse 8 starts this way. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. So, wow. Now we start to understand why Rahab put her life on the line, lying to the king's men, no less, that these spies, yeah, they'd been there, but they left. Uh, Go ahead, chase them. You might catch them yet. The reason is... God's reputation is preceding him. Oh, yes. Uh, What an interesting thing. You know, sometimes you can think, well, you know, all this stuff happened to Israel kind of in isolated corners. And, you know, who who back in that day, well, we know about it because we got the Bible, but who back in that day would have heard, well, it turns out what God did in Egypt, what God did to Pharaoh, what God did dividing the Red Sea, that has traveled far and wide. 
And Rahab, and she indicates a lot of people in Jericho and in Canaan have heard of the God of Israel, and they figure that if the God of Israel is coming, they'd better get out of his way. Because she says here, how interesting, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And in the ancient world in Hebrew, that's known as a marismus. You get it in Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. It's oh, yes. a marismus. You take the highest point and the low point, and that stands for everything. Mm-hmm. So Rahab is saying, your God is the God of everything. And if we try to oppose him, we're toast. And that's why I'm helping you. I have fear of your God. Fear, literal fear, but also reverence. Yes. Uh, you mentioned that the Lord's renown has been traveling all over this region. Um, she makes it clear that she knows that the Lord has given the Israelites the mm-hmm. land as well. So not only does she hear about what God has did to these other kings, but she also knows that the Lord has given them the land, which is with this information. She says it's better to show favor to these Israelites and lie to a few Jericho cops, if you will, than it is to become a casualty of this conquest. And so what's deeper is that this lady who knows nothing of God, who is a Canaanite, who's a Jerichoite, she names the God, the Lord God, the God of heaven and God of earth. And that testimony and that testifying is really powerful in a place where they have hundreds of idols. So that shows you God could pretty much save anyone, Mm. no matter what background they have, no matter how many mistakes they make. It's relieving to me to know that we serve a God who can save anyone and bring them to the point of confession. We said earlier we're not 100% sure exactly how or why the spies ended up in the house of a prostitute, but I'm pretty sure the last thing they expected in that place was to hear the (laughs) prostitute deliver a sermon and tell them the truth of their God, right? Right. I mean, talk about a turnabout of events that you couldn't possibly see coming. Rahab preaches the truth of Israel's God to them. Wow. But uh, let's uh, pick up uh, the action here, um, and I'm just going to skim over a few verses in Joshua 2, beginning at verse 12 because Rahab does want to live. Uh, She does want a little something back in return for her kindness. So she says in verse 12, Swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. And then they say, our lives for your lives, the men assure. So then they talk a little bit more. She said, I'm going to let you go. But eventually we get that famous line where they say, you know, after we leave, she's going to let them down by the scarlet rope. Scarlet. Leave it hanging in the window. So when we come to Jericho, we'll see it, and we will make sure that we go to your house first to get you out before the city falls. So she agrees, they agree, they go back. And in verse 23, uh, they went down the hills, forded the river and came to Joshua and they told him everything that had happened to them. So there's the deal they cut and there is what is going to become the, the future salvation of Rahab and her family. It's beautiful that we see oaths being exchanged here, promises on both sides. And these covenants are bound not just because they're interpersonal between one and another, but because it's considered that they would be before God who was paying attention to all these details. But I love their response, our lives for your life. I love that response. It seems like in this day we've lost, uh, we lack luster in promise making these days. We have to sign so many promissory notes. And and when you you sign over for a house, you got to put, make sure your signature is there in the fine print. 
They'll take you to court for this stuff. But back then, it was our life for your life. The covenant was clear. And Rahab believed in the Lord God and demonstrated it by helping God's people. She was excited about being able to do that. And she did not keep her physical safety in high regard, which we mentioned earlier. And her witness, her example lives on. James, in James 2, 25 and 26, James writes to his readers back in the days of the early church in the same way. Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So this ties in with James' key theme, that if you say you have faith, but it never shows up in your life, then it's just so much talk. But when you have faith, it shows up in what you do. Rahab had faith. And she lived it out, and the fruit of her faith was saving these men. So she proved that she believed, and she demonstrated it by saving these men. And that is what she's being commended for. Even though she has this background, that is not the point of what James is saying. And in just a minute, we want to get into some practical applications of this passage. So stay tuned. This December, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, Join Today Devotional to look at questions often asked about God the Father, Jesus, the Bible, prayer, and the church. Then we'll listen carefully to what the Bible says to answer these questions. If you've been searching for answers, these devotions will help you reflect thoughtfully and draw you closer to the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Join today in December for a series of devotions titled, Questions, Questions. Refresh, refocus, and renew at todaydevotional.com. I'm Scott Jose with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork and this second program in a five-part Advent and Christmas series from Matthew chapter 1, and particularly the genealogy, the family tree. And we've been looking at the story today on this episode, Daryl, of, of Rahab, who is a great, 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 great-grandmother, ultimately, of Jesus. And she has a very unlikely origin story. She was a prostitute in the pagan city of Jericho, in the pagan land of Canaan. And we just saw, remarkably enough, though, that this foreign woman, doing a somewhat tawdry occupation, shall we say, knew about God and preached a little sermon to the Israelite spies, praising their God and saying she wanted to be on that God's side, so please spare my life when God comes to take Jericho. So Rahab is what my undergrad professor at Kuiper College, Dr. Dan Cruzy, called a faithful foreigner because she did not grow up as an Israelite. She had nothing to do with Israel until this interaction, but she is testifying unto the Lord being the God of heaven and earth. She's also demonstrating that faith she has by helping them and doing a kindness to them at great risk to her own life. And Hebrews 11 talks about a whole bunch of people who have this faith of things that they did not see and that is evidence and substance for pleasing God with this faith. And we see there's a verse there for Rahab in in chapter 11, verse 31. It says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So technically, Rahab's being applauded for what she did to save these spies so that they could go over and get the land that God had promised them in the first place. It's amazing. This 
prostitute who comes from out of nowhere in the book of Joshua. Now we've seen mentioned twice in the New Testament. Yeah. We just saw in the previous segment of this program, Daryl James commends her, and now the writer of Hebrews commends her in that long Hall of Fame roll call of the faithful. Rahab gets a shout out. Her actions have resonated all through history. And now, of course, the third uh, mention uh, of Rahab would be in Matthew. So at least three times in the New Testament, this foreign prostitute named Rahab is mentioned as a hero of the faith. But as we close out the program, Daryl, I mean, we sort of get to that, the, the so what again. What does this have to do with us? Well, I mean, there's lots of things we could say. So let's admit that uh, eventually Rahab stops being a prostitute. She eventually gets married in Israel, and that's how she then delivers a child who uh, leads to Jesus. As we said in the first program, uh, a reminder that even Jesus' story can't get told without some difficult elements reminding us that that's why Jesus came, to save us uh, from our sins. So Rahab didn't stay a prostitute, but she's a great reminder, as we said a few moments ago, God can and does use anybody. Don't count yourself out. Don't think that your own past disqualifies you. God likes to use everybody to be his servants to accomplish his will. And just to be on the record, we're not asking everyone to be like Rahab or do what Rahab did. What we're saying, I mean, we know we need to be like Jesus, right? But what we're also saying is that it doesn't matter what your background is or what you've done. God can use you. God can restore you. God can heal you. But also there's always the decision and the choice you have to do what is right. And, you know, what you've done in the past doesn't have to permanently define who you are. And we can change. And God gives us the strength to do that. Um, and he also gives us forgiveness, which we find in Romans 8, 1, where it says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's beautiful to see that God can redeem us from these mistakes, and then we can have stories that he could be glorified in. And everybody is potentially a candidate for that. And again, who would have imagined that this particular person uh, that the spies seem to just sort of stumble into, but of course, we now recognize here too, the hand of God's providence, leading these people to the person they needed to meet, uh, who not only would save their lives and therefore open the door for Israel to begin to uh, come into the promised land at long last after 40 years of desert wandering, but also a chance to save this person and her family. And then she uh, and her family takes their place in Jesus' family line. And and as we've also said, Daryl, and again, this should be encouraging, I think, for all of our lives. The Bible could so easily have left out some of these stories, yeah. right? Matthew could so easily have not bothered to mention Tamar, who acted like a prostitute to trick her father-in-law uh, into sleeping with her. Uh, that was a, a sort of an awkward story we saw in the previous program in this series. Rahab being a prostitute is awkward to acknowledge, but none of it stops God. None of it delays God. And the Bible is very willing to admit, yeah, these things happened. This is exactly what happened. This is exactly who was related to Jesus. You might think these are skeletons in Jesus' family closet. I'm putting the skeletons right out there, Matthew says, because this is a story of grace. Yes. Jesus is all about grace. In John's gospel, that he came full of grace and truth. And so Matthew is telling the background of Jesus also full of grace and truth. 
And what's exciting about that as we turn towards Christ here is that we see Rahab put herself in risk of danger of her life, but Christ went the full way and he laid his life down for us. So she did this so that the Israelites could get the inheritance that God had promised them. And she doesn't lose her life, but Christ ended up losing his life as a penalty for our sins and our atonement. He gives us the real promised land, which happens to be the rest in him, according to Hebrews. And we have a new relationship with him that he demonstrated with us while we were still sinners. The stories in that are get referred to in Matthew's genealogy are fraught with sin. Tamar and Judah's story was fraught with sin. Rahab's story, Ruth's story, which we'll see in the next episode, not so much, but Certainly, even King David, the last of the first four women, will be Bathsheba. That story is saturated in sin. You can't tell Jesus' story without telling the story of our human sin, but that's why Jesus came, because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the gospel in a nutshell, and it's really basically what Matthew is preaching to us and preaching to his original audience by including these stories in Jesus' family tree. It's all grace. It's all grace. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your host, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we continue our study of the women in Jesus's genealogy by looking at Ruth's story. Connect with us at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. <laughs>